Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. levels, first of all, you're not alone. The vast majority of women with PCOS struggle with symptoms of high androgens like acne, hair loss, hirsutism, which is the medical term for hair growth, as well as missing periods and even anxiety. These are all symptoms that are related to high androgen levels. And in fact, high androgen levels are part of the diagnostic criteria for PCOS. So if you're someone who's struggling with high androgen levels or symptoms of high androgens, today's conversation is going to be super helpful. I am joined by a wonderful guest. Her name is Elisa Pacheco, and she's a registered dietitian with over a decade of experience in this field. Alyssa works primarily with women with PCOS, and she has PCOS herself, so she understands firsthand the struggles that women with PCOS are faced with. And in her practice, she helps them manage symptoms with realistic and sustainable nutrition and lifestyle changes. Alyssa is super passionate about PCOS, as you'll hear from our conversation, and she shared a lot of great tips, specifically around managing blood sugar levels, reducing inflammation, and finding an effective way to manage your hormones and feel balanced without driving yourself crazy, which is very easy to do with the amount of information that's out there about PCOS. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and find it super valuable. I know that you're gonna love Alyssa. If you're not already following her on Instagram, make sure you go ahead and do this, but only after you listen to our conversation, of course. And in fact, to make it easy for you to find Alyssa online, I linked to her Instagram account as well as a freebie resource that she shared with us during the episode. So you can find all of those links in the show notes below. And now let's go ahead and bring on Alyssa. Hey, Alyssa, welcome to the show. Hi, Daphna. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited for today's conversation. We're talking about androgens and how they impact women with PCOS. What are some of the things that someone can do to manage their androgen levels? Before we dive into that or jump into that, can you share a little bit about yourself and who you are and your own PCOS story as well? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Alyssa Pacheco. I'm a registered dietitian of over a decade at this point. And I work primarily with women who have PCOS now, and I help them to manage their symptoms in a realistic and sustainable nutrition and lifestyle approach. And I am particularly passionate about helping women with PCOS because I also was diagnosed with PCOS when I was in my late 20s. And my diagnosis came after struggling to conceive for over a year. And, you know, it's one of those things where in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. I've had symptoms of PCOS and high androgens in particular going back to my teenage years, but it was just a lot of them were kind of embarrassing or things that are just chalked up to a lot of other things. So things like acne, you know, it was always chalked up to, oh, that'll go away once you're an adult type of a thing. And, you know, irregular periods. Oh, here's some birth control. And, you know, when you're a teenager, you don't really think much of it. So now hindsight, it's 
it's very eye opening to be on this journey with my own health, but also helping others to manage their own symptoms as well. And when you were diagnosed finally after, you know, struggling, did you also receive those types of messages about birth control or about, you know, the options that doctors often suggest? And how did you navigate that? Oh, absolutely. So I was pretty naive when I was first diagnosed. I really wasn't very well versed in PCOS care or even really what it was. So since I was trying to conceive, my OBGYN, who was the one who had diagnosed me, didn't recommend birth control, but she did recommend metformin. And it's interesting because metformin is a drug that's primarily used, obviously with the PCOS population, but it is a diabetes drug. And my OBGYN said to me, we prescribe metformin. I don't think that you are insulin resistant because you're skinny. Mm -hmm. So they don't really have much in terms of good treatment options because even though she didn't think that I was insulin resistant based solely on my body size, she still recommended a drug to help with insulin resistance. So I got that kind of a runaround and I was definitely given a message that PCOS isn't really a big deal. And, you know, it can kind of impede my ability to get pregnant. But once I'm pregnant, you know, everything will be fine. And then you'll have a baby and PCOS isn't really something to worry about. It's really just an issue trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously I have decided to specialize in PCOS and I know now that that is, couldn't be further from the truth. So it is interesting because yes, I've been given some of these runaround types of experiences that so many of my clients and I'm sure yours as well have gotten, you know, over the years. So it's been very eye-opening to also be on the receiving end of that as well. Yeah. And did you then research on your own and figure it out on your own pretty much? Yep. (laughs) So I was already a dietitian and I had been for several years. So I was very well versed with how to read research. And, you know, I hate to say it, I went down the Google rabbit hole like so many people do. But in doing so, I started to realize a lot more information about PCOS than what I was given by my doctor. So I took that as my own opportunity to start looking at what the actual research said. And it was very eye-opening. You know, we definitely are so far from where we need to be in terms of PCOS research, but there really is actually a lot of great research in regards to PCOS. And it's significantly more than what your doctors tell you about. Yes. So yes, I am. I mean, that alone can become your full-time job. I'm right. You and I have made careers out of it. So obviously there's enough there too, right? So I think that it's really important to anyone that's listening and is feeling overwhelmed to know that it is hard and it is not something that most people can figure out on their own. You were trained, right? You knew how to read research. You knew where to go. You knew how to spot a credible source from a fake one, right? All of those things that honestly, when I research other areas of my life that are not nutrition related, I feel that overwhelm. And I can imagine what it must feel like for people to go on Google and try to figure it out on their own. So to anyone that's listening who has tried to do that and hasn't been successful, there's nothing wrong with you, really. I mean, this is a really difficult thing to do, which is why getting help can really make your journey so much smoother, faster, and easier 
But we're going to talk a little bit about what you found out and what we know about androgens today, because this is a big topic in the PCOS world. And it's definitely a priority for a lot of people listening to start managing their, their androgens properly and to know what's truth, what's fact and what's myth, because there's plenty of that out there, like we just said. Oh, absolutely. So many myths when it comes to PCOS, that is for sure. So let's actually start there. What are some of the things or biggest myths or things that people get wrong about managing PCOS and their hormones? Oh my gosh. Yeah, so many, but (laughs) probably one of the biggest ones that comes to mind is the idea that you need to be on a very restrictive eating pattern to actually manage your symptoms. So I know that you've seen this too, but the idea that you have to be gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, sugar-free, coffee-free, you know, the list goes on and on. Basically, you have to take out everything from your diet, it seems like, when you start to go down that Google rabbit hole. But that is definitely one of the biggest myths. And you can 100% manage your PCOS symptoms in a way where you're able to generally include all of those food groups and you don't have to be eliminating entire food groups or big pieces of your life to actually be able to manage your PCOS symptoms. So yeah, that's probably I think, the biggest myth I see. I agree with that for sure. And I think the biggest problem with that, not only is it not true or science-based, it's very fear-based. Mm-hmm. So everything we hear is about, well, if you eat gluten, it's inflammatory, or if you drink coffee, your cortisol will spike. And it's kind of like this very fear-mongering thing around specific foods or things where the research is not there, the evidence is not there. And there's so much more to the diet for PCOS or to managing it with food than a specific food or food group. Absolutely. You know, our body is so much more sophisticated than that. So I think boiling it down to a list of foods is not only oversimplifying it, it's also not taking into account people's lifestyle and quality of life. Like, you know, and you've put out content around, well, if I eliminate all of these things, what am I left with? Like a plate of air, like there's nothing left to eat. Right. Absolutely. And I've worked with women in the past who have been through, you know, chronic years of chronic dieting. And then, you know, they're dealing with that history, but also now they're faced with the idea that they need to be gluten-free, dairy-free, low carb, and it's very overwhelming. So I've actually had several clients who have brought, you know, we just had Thanksgiving recently where they've brought their own meals to family holidays because they feel so restricted, like they can't eat food at a holiday event. And, you know, we really want to promote a way of managing your hormone imbalance, but also being able to live your life as well. And food is so much more than nutrition. It's culture and, you know, it's memories and it's tradition. So there's so much more to food than just health. And being able to live your life and not be scared of food is incredibly important. Absolutely. All right. So not having to restrict, that's one thing that we know, or having to restrict is a myth. What else? So probably another one is the idea of the exercise. So I see this frequently where cardio and HIIT types of exercises are 
out of the question and they're going to spike your cortisol levels and make your symptoms worse. So, you know, we actually have a lot of good research that cardio and HIIT can be really great forms of movement if you enjoy them to help with lowering insulin resistance and lowering glucose levels improving cardiovascular health, improving our mood. So that's definitely another big myth that I see. And women just, again, over-restricting even their exercise patterns because of these myths that are circulating in the internet space. Yes. Yeah, and I think for a lot of women, the conversation around spiking either blood sugar or cortisol is very scary, but we also need to remember that these fluctuations are actually normal. And if if someone works out and their cortisol goes up, that is your normal physiological reaction. And you don't need to micromanage that because most people's bodies can bring it back down to normal and your body can regulate its own hormones for the most part. Now, unless we know that there's an issue with the adrenal glands or something like that. But I think there's a very toxic conversation around micromanaging blood sugar levels or cortisol levels or all your hormones, which yes, we can control and modify through nutrition and lifestyle, but also your body has some type of rhythm to it that is normal and it can regulate a lot of that on its own. So we don't need to micromanage. Right. Absolutely. And I see that a lot in terms of the conversation with CGMs recently. Continuous glucose monitoring. And I get several questions regarding do I need to use one of those so that I can figure out what what foods are going to spike my blood sugar? And it's definitely, in my opinion, a form of micromanagement and not necessary for most women with PCOS. You know, if you have a condition like diabetes or pre-diabetes, you know, maybe that might be something that you would want to explore. But for the general population of women with PCOS, completely unnecessary and can actually be maybe detrimental to your overall progress and management of PCOS, because I think that it can create more fear and more stress around foods and make you feel like you need to maybe over-restrict based on things that you see with that CGM. Yeah. And with the correlation of PCOS and eating disorders, I think you're right. That could be very detrimental. Yes, definitely. Uh, Let's talk about androgens. So I want to start by just talking about what they are. What kind of hormones are they? Where do they come from in the body? Let's get a little bit of the physiology of it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So androgens are male sex hormones such as testosterone and DHEA sulfate. And as women, we have both female sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone, but we also have male sex hormones in small amounts. And they're produced in different places. So testosterone is often produced by the ovaries, while another androgen, the DHEA sulfate, is produced by our adrenal glands. And with PCOS, we tend to see higher than typical amounts of these androgens. And they can cause those very common PCOS symptoms that we hear about, like the acne, the unwanted hair growth, the hair thinning or falling out, irregular periods, just to name some of them. So for the most part, you know, we're looking at the ovaries and the adrenal glands as the main producers of these male sex hormones, the androgens. Okay. And do we know what causes them to be higher in PCOS? 
So, yep, with PCOS, you know, we see these high androgens being driven by, it can either be one or multiple different factors. So generally insulin resistance, inflammation, or high stress levels. And I think it's also important to note that those high stress levels, yes, they can be things like a stressful work environment or a stressful relationship, those things that we perceive as high stress, but it could be other things that we don't really perceive as stressful. So things like chronic dieting or under eating, those can be other ways that our bodies can be stressed out that can result in a stressful state that can lead to higher androgens. Okay. And so if someone goes to their doctor and they get blood work done and all of their blood work results are normal, so their testosterone is within the range, everything looks okay, but they're still having those symptoms. And I'm sure you've seen women with this kind of scenario. What would you say in this situation? Yes, I've definitely seen this situation. I've also experienced it myself as well, where I've had blood work where my androgen levels are normal, but I'm still experiencing symptoms of high androgens as well. And, you know, I think blood work can be a great tool in helping to fine tune your approach, but unfortunately it's not perfect. So there are certain labs like testosterone in particular, and it's not super sensitive and it's not necessarily an accurate representation of the true circulating testosterone levels in our body. So that's why a PCOS diagnosis can be made using high androgens on blood work, like a high testosterone or a high DHA sulfate, or, you know, your doctor can also make that diagnosis based solely on clinical symptoms of high androgen. So things like that unwanted hair growth or the hair loss or irregular periods as well could be part of the diagnostic criteria. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to repeat that for anyone who wasn't sure exactly what that may mean for them. So you were saying that the part of the PCOS diagnosis is either having high androgen levels upon blood work, but there can actually be a diagnosis based on what's called the clinical manifestation of it, just having the symptoms without having the high levels, because it is pretty common that blood work is normal, but someone may still have the symptoms. So just having symptoms like hirsutism or hair loss, missing periods, acne is enough as part of the PCOS diagnosis to say that there is an issue, right? Correct. Yes. So that's really important because, you know, a lot of women are dismissed by their doctor saying, no, everything is fine, but everything is not fine. There's a lot of symptoms going on. Okay. Now you mentioned inflammation and insulin resistance as a source of high androgens. What is the connection between high androgens and inflammation? Is there some type of relationship there or connection? Yep. So both inflammation and insulin resistance, they are linked to those higher androgens. And it's because those higher levels can cause the ovaries to produce higher levels of testosterone. So high insulin, high inflammation levels are actually going to result in your ovaries pumping out more testosterone than what's typical. And that's what's really leading to those unpleasant outward symptoms that we experience as women with PCOS. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what to do about it. So if someone has high androgen levels or symptoms of high androgen levels, and they're not sure 
which androgens are elevated. Does that matter as far as the management of it? Like, how would you approach a situation like that? Right. So with high androgens, you know, there's so much overlap that happens with those causes or those root causes rather. So things like insulin resistance, inflammation, the high stress levels in that adrenal gland involvement, there's tons of overlap. So regardless of which androgens are high, we generally are going to approach things similarly. So we want to focus on blood sugar balance. We want to focus on lowering inflammation. We want to make sure that we're managing our stress levels because that just makes sense. We don't want to be including inflammatory types of foods just because you think that inflammation isn't an issue for you because then you can actually be promoting inflammation, which can worsen the androgens and your symptoms. But if your DHEA sulfate level is elevated, that is definitely an obvious sign that there is some adrenal dysfunction and you're definitely going to want to focus on reducing stress levels and incorporating a lot of self-care. And generally, this is when I may sometimes recommend lower intensity forms of movement like Pilates or yoga rather than the higher intensity. But again, that's more so on a person-to-person basis. But generally, your approach is going to be similar in terms of blood sugar balance, lowering inflammation, making sure that you're sleeping well, keeping stress levels well as managed as possible in today's wild and crazy society. While it can be helpful to know which androgens are high, it doesn't necessarily change the approach to actually managing those high androgens. Okay. Can you give us a few tips of your favorite ways to manage blood sugar levels and inflammation? Absolutely. So nutrition, being a dietitian is my number one. So focusing on eating consistently throughout the day, not going extremely long periods of time without eating. And then when we are eating those meals, you know, making sure that we are including high fiber carbs and pairing those high fiber carbs with protein and fat as well. So those are kind of the key approaches that I focus on with blood sugar balance when Mm -hmm. it comes to nutrition. And then I always recommend including those anti-inflammatory types of foods. So the types of foods that are going to be high in omega-3 fatty acids, like the fatty fish, walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds, also things like berries, leafy greens. So sprinkling those anti-inflammatory foods in as often as possible is just going to help to reduce inflammation as well. Okay, great. What about specific foods that are helpful in reducing androgens? Are there any and how would you recommend someone incorporates them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that this goes back to something that you were mentioning earlier, where people are often looking for, what do I need to eat to lower testosterone? Or, you know, kind of looking for a list of foods that they need to eat. And I think that it oversimplifies things. So we really want to be focusing on managing that root cause by balancing blood sugar levels, reducing inflammation, 
But there are certainly foods that can help to lower androgen levels. And we want to be, again, sprinkling these in as often as possible. So foods that are higher in omega-3 fatty acids can help lower androgens. Foods that are higher in zinc, vitamin D. But some of those foods that can be the fatty fish like the salmon, olive oil, avocados, nuts like cashews, walnuts, seeds, especially the chia, the flax, pumpkin seeds, leafy greens like spinach, eggs, beans, berries. Those are some of my favorite foods that can really help to lower androgens. And I think that kind of leaning into the foods that you truly like out of those can be helpful while also maintaining an open mind to trying different foods as well. If you don't like them right off the bat. And you might find that you like certain foods in certain dishes where you don't like them in another dish. So something like spinach, you know, vegetables are always something that comes up as, oh, I don't really like many vegetables. So you might find that you hate spinach when it's cooked, but throwing a handful of raw baby spinach into a smoothie might be a great way for you to get it in because it doesn't really change the the taste of the smoothie too much, but it's a really great way to pack in those that great nutrition that helps to lower inflammation, lower androgens, and really promote blood sugar balance as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's so important that someone doesn't add these because they think they should, quote unquote, they need to enjoy that because if you're struggling through it and hating every bite of it, you're not going to stick with it and it's not going to be sustainable for you. Absolutely. And so that approach of adding things, but finding the ones that you do like in ways that you do enjoy absolutely on the same page as that with you. Right. And you don't have to like every single one of these foods either. And that's very common. There are certain foods that are just a no-go for me, no matter how many times I try them and I keep giving it the good old college try, but there are certain foods that I just do not like. And I know that they're very healthful and include a lot of great nutritional properties, but I just can't get behind them. That's really common for most people that there's just certain foods we're not gonna like, and that's okay. It's more about, you know, the overall pattern of what we're eating rather than micromanaging and focusing in too heavily on one specific type of food. Yeah. Uh, Someone in my program recently asked me a question that I want to ask you because I'm curious about your answer. So she said, you know, it could be really overwhelming to think about all the things that we want to include all these foods and managing the blood sugar and pairing the foods. And she said, you know, What would you prioritize if you were to only do two or three things every day for your health, for your androgens, instead of really trying to do all of them, which is impossible. Like you said, for a lot of people, it's just not going to happen. So what would you say to someone who's listening now who wants to manage their androgens, but wants to do it in a gentle way, gradually build upon what they're doing? What are maybe two or three things that you would focus on first? I always focus on the big picture. And that's oftentimes making sure that you're eating consistently throughout the day. So making sure that you're eating breakfast in the morning, because that's such a a common meal for people to skip. So making sure you're having breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 
And, you know, if that's something that's already in place for you, I would focus on making sure that you're having all three of those macronutrients, the higher fiber carbs with the protein and the fat, because that combination together really helps to promote blood sugar balance throughout the day. And blood sugar balance and keeping insulin levels well-managed is such a key component of lowering androgens as well. So that would be where I would start. And, you know, if you want to take it a step further, just keep the mentality of what can I add to my day rather than the mentality of what do I need to take away? So what can I add to my day? Can I add maybe a little bit more vegetable at my lunch, whether it's some bell pepper slices with hummus, or, you know, we're having tacos tonight for dinner. Maybe I'll have a vegetable on the side as well. That's not something I typically do with tacos, but maybe, you know, that would be a good place where I can add something in to my Mm -hmm. day. So keeping it a little bit more open where you can add things rather than that restrictive mindset of what do I need to take away? Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. You mentioned breakfast. What are some of your favorite blood sugar friendly breakfasts? Oh, so I go through cycles and I think that this is actually really just a common human nature type of thing where we go through phases where we have some favorite breakfasts and then we cycle into a different type of breakfast. So right now I have been obsessed with over easy eggs and I make shredded potatoes with them. And then I'll add some avocado and some berries on the side. I'm also a big fan of oatmeal, especially as we go into the cooler, colder months rather. So that warm oatmeal in the morning and generally adding a scoop of cashew butter and some pumpkin seeds and then some berries as well. One of my favorite warm breakfasts. And then I'm really kind of basic. I'm not into smoothies. I I don't do a lot of smoothies. I know that they can be such a great way to get nutrition in. And I have so many clients who love them, which is great. But I that's one of the things I just can't get behind. I think I just prefer to chew my food. But also just eggs, avocado toast. Those are some really typical go-tos. I'll do Greek yogurt bowls often where I'll do Greek yogurt with some fruit and some type of nut or seed in it as well. So those tend to be my common breakfast go-tos. Sometimes I'll switch it up occasionally if I'm feeling kind of wild, but those are those are my go-tos for sure. Okay. You mentioned Greek yogurt bowls. How do you feel about the connection between dairy and acne? What do you usually recommend? If someone's struggling with acne, do you recommend they limit their dairy or how do you approach that? So I generally approach it the same way that I would approach even somebody who is not struggling with acne. We want to focus on the blood sugar balance. We want to focus on lowering inflammation. So we want to take those steps that are really going to benefit PCOS as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you are taking all of those steps and you're still struggling with acne, then I think it's worthwhile to consider limiting dairy or maybe trialing dairy-free for 
a few weeks and see if you notice an improvement. And if you do, that's an indication that maybe dairy is a trigger for you in terms of the acne. And maybe you want to be more mindful of dairy and maybe continue dairy free or limited dairy. But I do see that a lot of women can have good results while also still including dairy. And just taking the steps to balance blood sugars and lower inflammation and all of those things that we want to do to manage PCOS as a whole. So if we have those steps in place, then consider the dairy-free trial Mm -hmm. if we're not seeing an improvement with the acne. Yeah, I like that approach. Do the foundation stuff first, and then you can fine-tune if there's still an issue. Absolutely. What about supplements? How do you feel about supplements to reduce androgens? I think that they can be very helpful. Again, I always think that we need the foundations in place. We can't out-supplement a poor diet. So if we're not addressing blood sugar balance and inflammation, and I know I sound like a broken record continuing to say that, but we need those foundations in place. But I do 100% believe that supplements can be very beneficial in helping to manage PCOS as a whole. And if you had asked me that question, six, seven years ago, before I was ever diagnosed with PCOS, I would have probably told you that if you have a balanced diet, you can get everything you need from that. Where now, you know, being somebody who has PCOS and knows significantly more about PCOS, I've seen the benefits in my own body that can happen with supplementation. I've also seen it with my clients. But I think that something that frequently happens is that the PCOS overwhelm comes into play as well. And people start to see information about, oh, this type of a supplement can be really helpful or this type of a supplement can be very helpful. So I often have clients coming to me and they have a laundry list of supplements that they're taking. And that's often not helpful because we're just really throwing things at a wall there and seeing Mm -hmm. what sticks and you don't necessarily know what's helping and what's not. So I do think that supplements can be helpful, but we want to do it in a very personalized way and really only implement generally one or two supplements at a time and monitor for any sort of progress. So for androgen reduction, do you have a few top supplements that you usually work with? It depends on the person. So so (laughs) I have several that I tend to be my go-tos in terms of recommendations. So I'm definitely a fan of berberine and inositol. Also a big fan of omega-3 fatty acids. Zinc sometimes short-term. Vitamin D, Mm -hmm. I think is incredibly beneficial for most women with PCOS. And that can be really helpful in terms of lowering androgens as well. Saw palmetto can sometimes be really beneficial, I find. So those tend to be the top supplements that I generally recommend for my clients when it comes to lowering androgens. Okay, great. What about products as far as toxic load and things like that? Do you ever recommend people reduce plastics or reduce products that contain toxins? Do you have suggestions around that? I do. I do generally recommend trying to swap out things that really touch our food. I think that the entire conversation in regards to limiting plastics and avoiding plastics and the endocrine disruptors can be very overwhelming 
as well, because when you start to realize how many products in our lives are plastics or potentially endocrine disruptors, you start to go down the rabbit hole thinking that everything is detrimental to your health. Mm -hmm. So I try to, you know, take a, a small approach where I recommend that you make some swaps to the things that are going to have the biggest impact. So in my opinion, they're going to be things that are actually going into your body. So I recommend trying to swap out plastic Tupperware containers for maybe glass. If you do have plastic Tupperware containers, I don't recommend microwaving in them. Swapping out Teflon pots and pans for something like a ceramic or stainless steel or cast iron. Those are the types of swaps that I recommend most frequently. And then you can start to make some other swaps in other areas of your life as time goes on. But I don't think that it's something that people need to get incredibly overwhelmed with because it can be incredibly overwhelming when you start to think about it too much. Yeah. And expensive. Making all those swaps can get very expensive. So my recommendations are very similar to yours. And I always tell people, I swapped some of my Tupperwares over the course of probably two years. So it's okay if it takes time. It's okay if you do it gradually. But I totally agree that things that you ingest, or like you said, things that your food touches are probably great places to start. And so you can do it over time. You don't need to get super crazy with it. I know there are some people who recommend such an extreme approach with it where it's scary to breathe. Like you, right? So we're not like living in a bubble. Like we can't do that. And, you know, there's no need to put the pressure on ourselves to be perfect in that area because it's impossible. Right. Absolutely. Okay, great. I think we're going to wrap up. I have a few rapid questions for you. Rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? I hope so. They're not that hard. Okay. (laughs) The first one is, if you weren't a dietitian, what would you be? Oh, gosh. I would probably be working in an ice cream shop. Okay. (laughs) No pressure. Yeah. I've always loved the idea of working in an ice cream shop. They just seem like they have such a great job. Everybody's always happy when they're going to get ice cream. So yeah, that's <laughs> all right. Well, let me let me know where it is. I'll come visit you because that sounds amazing. <laughs> low pressure, low stress job. Absolutely. Um, what's one healthy habit that you think is totally underrated? We don't talk about it enough. Taking time for yourself and yeah, self-care. a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people that I ask this question say alone time or yes, mental health, taking time for yourself. So self care. Yes. We live any in, specific uh, form of self-care or any type of specific thing? I'm a fan of just finding something that you enjoy that you can do every single day. I think we often think of self-care as going to the spa and getting a massage. And that's just not something that's financially feasible or even time-wise feasible for people to do on a daily basis. So I think finding little things that really help to ground you, whether it's stretching in the morning or a gratitude journal, those types of things, a nice hot cup of tea right before bed, just little types of self-care that we can implement throughout the day. Okay, great. And last but not least, what's one food that you must eat every single day? Berries. Okay, nice. Every single day. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Alyssa, thank you so much for being here. I want to give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find you or if you have a resource that you'd like to share, this is a a great time to mention it. Yeah, absolutely. So I can be found on Instagram. My handle is PCOS underscore nutritionist. And I do have a download that's available through the link in my bio for the top three mistakes that I frequently see women making with PCOS and things that you can do instead of making those mistakes. So you can head on over to that link and download that resource. Okay, great. And I'll share it in the show notes as well. So people can easily find it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. All right. 